India is home to around 398 languages even though some of them are extinct each language represents a certain culture certain values respective behaviors and actions all these facts make india an interesting ecosystem to understand and dissect this is exactly what dharmesh passionately pursues founder of the india notes dharmesh has worked in the indian fintech space for several years in this episode we walk through his experiences of working with the indian population and realize how india is a user researcher's most challenging complex and interesting puzzle so let's dive right in welcome to the show dharmesh really great to have you here your like work on the indian population and indian users and that to a variety of users is really fascinating to me and i feel it's an angle that i have not worked well with in my podcast like i've talked to many people but that pure focus on indian users is lacking somewhere so that's why i decided to invite you on the podcast and you're the best person to talk about it so thank you so thank much you. for joining thank you thanks for having me here today awesome um so i guess i'll dive into our first question and you know we have a lot of influence from the western world when it comes to the way our companies are working our corporate culture is working but then again there are certain nuances and with respect to our population that we tend to miss and especially in user research because we are dealing directly with users we are having a bottom up approach uh so i guess i think you know things can be missed in taking influence from something and we can lose our originality so let's start with how western and indian users are different and uh, what research user or ux research methodologies are you using to understand indian user in the best way right so let's start by understanding what are primarily the difference between the west and india uh, i see the two important aspects of the lens which can largely differentiate the nature of the people and the cultures here one in the west we largely have homogeneous culture uh, where west i'm talking about let's say specifically the us culture right you know it's largely probably homogeneous culture when i say homogeneous culture they understand a single language they have certain habits which can be put together in a certain bucket uh, they have similar festivals and you know it's largely segregated across the countries and all of that india is largely heterogeneous culture and there is different language different culture different festivals all of it changes every 100 kilometers or 300 kilometers and it changes from state to state so india should largely be treated as a uh, a combination of multiple different mini nations together rather than looking them as a we are just uh, together by boundary but you know there are different kinds of cultures inside the country right the other thing is western cultures are mostly towards individualistic societies and here we are collective society so individualistic societies what is the difference is that you know an individual is given more importance than the collective right from very young they been told that um, you like to grow up as an independent man or independent women 
they give the space by 18 probably like you know once they get a job or once they complete college they move out of their home it's looked uh, it's it's a proud thing to actually be on my own shoes and move out and sort of start my own family in india probably it's the reverse right you may not see it in like the top 1% of the population but even today largely they actually sort of like uh, appreciate being with your family appreciate saying that you know staying with your parents appreciate providing like you know shelter for them or or running the family along with them right so these are some of the basic cultural nuances and it dictates a lot of other sort of things right so let's say for example if you if you're living as an independent like a nuclear family versus a collective family smaller things like you know what to purchase on a monthly basis like even starting from a grocery behavior to the financial behavior it becomes more complicated in each it's not just uh, the number of decision makers in each of these things are not just one or two but it it moves to three and four right and each of them have a very different dynamics in that like the relationship between a father and a son or a father and a daughter and between the mother in law and the daughter in law so these relationships are more complicated right uh so and and it differs from like culture to culture and how they look at each of and and how they look at these each other right so it's like in a network the more nodes that you add the number of connections sort of increases and the nuances sort of increases so that's one of the two basic difference between the west and the india uh, coming to your second question with respect to research methods that we would probably sort of identify uh i'm not sure if i have a specific research methods but the lens of looking at as saying that you know in india people could be coming from the collective society would mean that just the opinions or the stories and narratives from one perspective or one point of view might not cut it through right so you might need to bring in more people into the picture so for example when we do financial research or behavior one of the predominant themes that comes across is when we ask women what is their financial behavior they would they would often say that you know this is the arena of my husband like my father takes care of it or my husband takes care of it and there will be no further questions like if you have to understand the household or the financial behavior of women in india it is inevitable to eliminate a man in it like right so it's it's inevitable that you know you have to bring in a man uh, into the picture and it could be their parents it could be their partners it could be their brothers whoever it is that's when you get a, like a holistic picture of who they are right now i'm not saying it's a good thing i'm not getting into this moral judgment of oh why can't women have like they want i i definitely feel that you know women should take control of their own finances because it gives them a lot of freedom to do things but currently the situation is this right you know where majority of the women they do not manage their finances is always dependent on like another person which is most likely a man right so if you are trying to understand the financial behavior here you need to bring in more stakeholders into the picture to get a complete overview of what that particular topic looks like that is bringing me to another question which i had planned to ask later but i guess this is the best time so when we say that you know the collective behavior we see that more in india rather than individual behavior but at the same time we discussed something as you know the plateau that we have reached we discussed this in our intro call before that we have reached a plateau when it comes to the kind of user base we are targeting at with companies like maybe uber swiggy 
and now that i think about it the kind of users we are targeting there it's more like more focused on the individual and there is an influence from the west so like even in the user base that we are targeting if, if you see the branding as well the branding and the ads that they are putting up the positioning it's focused on that individual bachelor or her bachelorette who is uh, going to the office and doing all of her things on her own that collectiveness even in the, in their branding and positioning is missing so uh, mm. how much of that influence like is it from the western influence that you know something like amazon we saw in the saw in america and then flipkart was launched here so are there any connections in that end did you see that come up in your research when you were talking to users or is it like just randomly i'm saying something no so for example when i look at research like specifically research in the context of digital products i can divide the phase of research into two right so one is a research that you try and do to understand how do you attract a product right attract users for a certain product now the second is the kind of research that you do to make sure once the user lands onto your product how do you retain them how do you sort of like help them engage more and how do you make sure they don't drop off now the first part of the product is what is usually called as a market research which is largely employed by the marketing teams and marketing teams to make sure what brand positioning should it be what messaging should it be what medium should i target what kind of images should i use what kind of advertisement should i do so that it appeals to people and they come to the product now the second is a kind of user research that we do which is largely called as ux research while we try and see that you know when a people lands on to the platform do they understand it better are they able to onboard themselves better are we able to provide them appropriate customer care are we able to resolve their queries etc all of that now i do think that the marketing research is being cracked to a certain extent because today um, when amazon just launched in india if i'm not wrong i think they were around in 2014 you would see their ads predominantly in english right you know they were largely sort of uh, advertised to the elite taiwan metro city sort of an audience who already uh, was probably uh, purchasing from flipkart now 3 years down the line around 2017 2018 their ads completely were regional like we started seeing kannada ads we started seeing ads in tamil we started seeing ads in hindi all of that happened so i think the marketing research or the marketing game is pretty much established and i think that is being cracked by a lot of companies starting from swiggy zomato everybody does like regional ads and they are able to grasp the audience even starting from the notifications like they do customize for different cities and different languages now the challenge comes at the core product itself how much of the customizations can you do so for example let's say in a tier one city like bangalore let's take a case of a, a taxi booking app like uber or ola now we do assume that people understand technology better and so that they understand when you see cars on the map that you are able to sort of like pin pin it point and then they are able to set set the location to where they want to go we know exactly where we want to go and all of that now the same thing if i take the context and put it in a smaller town now in a smaller town the addresses probably are not as straightforward as you might see in a tiger city i can tell in an like in a city like bangalore i can tell i want to go from a apartment to b apartment and the b apartment will already be in the map 
So when I go to a smaller city, the addresses are not largely how it's being defined in Google Maps, but based on certain references. It could be next to this temple, it could be next to the shop, it could be next to the street. So there are different identifiers for an address. Now, in that case, also, let's like say, for example, rather than what does a map mean when somebody opens an app and then you just see a map and there are a bunch of these cars. Now, what does that mean? Is that can there be a more simplified version of it for someone, let's say someone who is sort of like 40 years old or 50 years old how, for them? How to how do they understand these interfaces? So let's say, for example, in a smaller city, the, the these cabs, the autos, let's say if you're trying to replace autos there with cabs. Now, these autos are not only used to take passengers, they're also sometimes used to take goods. Now, do you have an option to say that, you know, are you are you trying to book for a goods or a sort of passenger? So these smaller nuances is what will make the app much more relevant in the context of smaller cities. But how much are we open to customizing it? How much are we doing research to understand those nuances and change this is still a question. I haven't seen any successful examples. Probably there are different apps that cater to them, but single app doing these product flow customizations for tier one, tier two, tier three cities is just I haven't seen much of them. So that was a really good perspective there that even maybe we have cracked the marketing research better than the user experience research aspect and the insights that we've got from marketing. In fact, sometimes what happens is on YouTube, I see an ad in Hindi and when I start listening Marathi songs, then I see the same ad in Marathi. So I don't know how, like the, the content is same, just the language has changed. That is an interesting thing to add. And this user experience bit was also very in, intriguing. Like these are small, small things, the nuances, that is why user research and comes in to give those human insights so thank you for sharing that how do you feel that you know we have actually hit a plateau we are not able to crack the tier two tier three city game when it comes to many brands um and that's that scalability is being an issue so how do you feel user research and ux research can come in and help organizations break this plateau and actually scale their products yeah it's not just about user research being able to help them but it has to do a combination of multiple things right Mm -hmm. so one the business and the strategy needs to be aligned to saying that you know hey i do need these users i do want to serve them and i see a potential to make money you know uh, on a long-term basis with these sort of users right Now, what is the advantage of technology? Advantage of technology is essentially about the scalability aspect. So I built Zomato app once that I should be able to sort of launch them in Bangalore, Hyderabad, even in smaller cities like, you know, uh, relatively smaller cities like Indoor, Jaipur, etc. everywhere. You know, that has been the goal because that's why uh, there's a humongous amount of VC funding. Why is Zomato getting sort of so much money and probably not a restaurant is because a restaurant includes physical costs. You need to establish them and probably you're not sure whether they work out or not. But on the other hand, Zomato is a tech play and that is probably scalable. So that is the basic hypothesis. Now, what we have realized is that, you know, what we might work from one city is not able to work in another sort of city. It could be a variety of reasons and, you know, cultural reasons could be one. 
uh, monetary reasons could be another thing. And so there could be a variety of reasons. We, one, we could, using research, you could uncover these insights, but it's up to like the strategy team and the business team to say that, you know, hey, I understand these insights. Now, can I customize them for that product for those kind of people or not? Is something like a, it's a larger college. It's a combination of multiple sets of people. But what can research bring out is some of these cultural nuances and sort of like this economic nuances in terms of like, you know, what is their income? How do they look at eating out every day? And all of that can be brought out. You know, what you do with it is up to the company. So I am very clear when it comes to research, saying that research should surface more context and information around the topic that you want to understand. You can give certain directions to your sort of product managers, your business folks, your designers, your sort of engineering folks. But research should never tell people that this is what you should do. Right. Mm-hmm. So research should give be should be able to give directions. Research should be able to induce some creativity in you. But it is not the job of a researcher to exactly go and tell, I want you to build X feature. I want you to build A feature. So the analogy usually I use is the collaboration between like a film director and a music director, right? A film director should be able to inspire the music director enough to get the best of the music. It's not his job to exactly go and tell him that this is the tune I want. Mm-hmm. And that's why certain actors are able to pull off great music in all their movies, irrespective of music directors that they work with. So for me, the researcher is a similar manner. You should be able to give more contact. You should be able to inspire them. Now, it ultimately, it's up to the business teams or the strategy teams and the design teams to say what they want to pick and what they want to include. Correct. So the the for, for you to have like a more sort of refined and nuanced giving insights is, uh, you will be able to do that if you understand your business goals too, if you understand your business model, and if you understand where do they eventually want to make money, where, what is the path for profitability for a certain startup. If you understand their discussion, then you'll be able to give more nuanced suggestions. So I think this is where research can help in bringing out more cultural nuances and some of like their, uh, like their, their attitudes and behaviors of a title city uh, users. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that is the game with uh, data and big numbers uh, that we miss the culture there. And I read this really interesting thing that, you know, that when we are dealing with certain populations, we think that, you know, the majority is controlling everything. But there are times when this stubborn minority is controlling how you are eating and uh, what you are eating, how you are doing things. I mean... So it's it's just it's I'm pointing towards the culture and the kind of nuances that we tend to miss in data. So, for example, the Jewish population is very stubborn about what they eat. Like there is something called kosher, and they like they have certain restriction on their diet. So to cater to their needs, almost all the drinks are served in a way that suits their diet restrictions because they are too stubborn about what they eat and drink and a larger population has to sort of like imbibe those habits just because they're not as stubborn about not eating that so it's like this is the culture thing that i'm adding to that you know there are certain cultural things that you might miss in your numbers and yeah. it's only through user research that you'll be able to crack that game so yeah yeah i think even today when there are certain festivals being celebrated, especially during Navratri, you see restaurants sort of bringing in the combos, which are very specific 
specifically catered to the fasting that women have or the fasting that people have during those periods and also during other festivals like ramzan and all of it there is special sort of like you know dishes that have been surfaced on the platform but that is mostly like from the restaurants they themselves sort of picking up the smaller like the nuances and sort of like sort of doing like publishing these dishes now the challenge comes in the fact where how would you sort of sort of for it's very easy for a food tech app to pitch to a bachelor in bangalore and say that you know hey i'm you can easily replace me with your cook you don't need a cook you can eat all you need is swiggy and zomato right but it's very difficult to penetrate into a household and say that you know i will replace your sort of kitchen why it becomes a challenge is because in a smaller city probably we are still living in a patriarchal family there are certain tasks that are allocated to the different people in the home right probably the women are taking more in charge of the kitchen and the men are taking more in charge of like you know sort of dealing with the finances and then you might have children so what happens is that it it's unfortunate but you know sometimes like the food and the kitchen and and the thing anything related to home becomes a identity of the person who is taking care of it so when you say you're going to buy swiggy it's not just about buying food out from outside of the home but you're also somewhere threatening the identity of the person who has taken charge of these things so that those are the cultural nuances you should start seeing right so you cannot there go back and say that you know it's it's this women versus swiggy or this women versus zomato but you'll have to figure out a way to sort of see how do can you penetrate inside the family that they are not you're not looked upon as a threat but you're looked upon as a friend so in that case you might not be selling these combos which what the individual seat or this you cannot be selling these stuff which will essentially replace a meal but probably you can come up with an idea which says that you know again this is a suggestion where you say that you know hey you are everyday making food but how do i make your everyday food into some sort of a feast so what is the additional stuff that i can add to your existing meal so that you feel good about making it into a feast so in that way then you're probably not selling the main course but you're probably selling a combination of different small of starters which somebody can purchase and have it once in a week or twice a week or you might even start selling out meal kits rather than selling out meals so that they still feel that you know that it is being prepared by them and they are still own that territory of taking care of food and the home related stuff so this is how i think that the cultural nuances um into picture mm-hmm. absolutely and it's so great that i have talked about users all along in my podcast but this is the first time i'm focusing so much on culture and that is when i'm talking about indians so yeah those are really great insights and then again not having a cultural understanding of your users makes you lose your edge of scalability so as we discussed the major hypothesis there was that tech is scalable when uh, that restaurant is not scalable that is present at one single point in one single point of time but uh, not having that understanding is creating hindrances in my scalability so yeah thank you so much for bringing that up so one thing that i would like to shed some light on is uh, you know the importance of user and ux research in a startup environment we know it's not a culture like in 
it's not there in the startup culture to set up a user research team or a ux research team it might come later on but then again it's it's still not the norm or it's still not the norm to you know think about a user research team when you're starting a startup you have the tech team obviously marketing team but this thing is missing so in your experience and especially that you have worked in the fintech space how important or how user and ux research can help startups in their business goals or any kind of goals that they are looking for so that's an interesting question because i've been thinking about it at what point in time you might probably need a ux researcher or a ux research team I was just talking to a very early stage startup they haven't yet launched a product and they said they are looking to set up like a designer that research team and my first answer to them was don't set up a research team right so one of the things is that research an appropriate user research needs its own time to unfold and bring in insights now if you're bringing in a ux researcher very early to your startup in a very dynamic environment they might probably not be able to add as much value as you might expect and also it's also the fact that you know if you are the founder of the company you're still figuring out like your product market fit if you're still at the mvp stage the person themselves should be the researcher trying to understand people right so if you, because it's a huge bet i'm sure like the founders have quit their full time job or they quit their other lucrative things that could be doing to take a risk into this world so it's always better to listen to these stories in a first hand account rather than somebody else retelling the story right because it's a huge risk what if what if there was mis- misinterpretations what if you what if there were things that uh, that that could have been communicated differently and you understood it differently and you thought something else was an insight and so on and so on you could definitely take help from other people who are experts in certain regions but their founders themselves should dip their feet into it and try and understand what the user's life look like right now once you have achieved like an mvp you have created a product and you know that the product positioning is right and users are coming to your product and they are sort of using their product and 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 there's a smooth workflow that's going on one of the indicators is that you know your marketing spend has become less your cac is less and you're starting to get more and more referrals there is word of mouth and all of that people start referring your product so these are some of the indicators that you can sense that our people are ready to pay right now right so you've been a free users and they've converted themselves into a paid users so these are some of the indicators that tells you that you know hey, something about this product is working and people have already accepted it they made it a part of their life now when you want to expand to different range of products from one for example something like an app like phone pay has cracked the upa game the scan and pay game now when phonepe wants to launch like an insurance product or like a stock investment product or like a mutual fund product now it it becomes more necessary for them to actually get a ux researcher or a user researcher and have a team who could go to the field and replicate like the same enthusiasm of understanding people in a large scale now by this time when the uh, when, when the product is already doing really well the founders have moved on to different other operations right they have to take care of finances they have to take care of strategy they have to take care of other sort of things to keep this engine running now they might not have the time and muscle to go and do this research another time like it again in the market so they that's the time they could have more reliable sources uh, like other, of course you'll have your business analyst who'll pull up your data and sort of give you 
the quantitative perspective, but you should also have a qualitative perspective by having like a bunch of researchers who can help you with it. Now, when you launch a new product is one place where I see research team helping them. Or when you launch for a new market, like how in the previous example we were talking about uh, a food tech company moving from one set of cities to other set of cities, that's where some of the cultural nuances can actually help them. So I think these are two places where user research could definitely help. And of course, on our day-to-day activities, when you're trying to uh, improvise an existing flow, like you're trying to improvise retention, you're trying to improvise drop-offs, reduce drop-offs in a product, those are the places where research will help. So in those places, you will mostly be using a research, using an artifact like usability testing. But in the other cases where you're trying to launch a new product or a new sector into a uh, into into a sort of new city sort of a thing, you'll be using user interviews, which is like exploratory sort of research. You brought up a really beautiful point that is the founder being the researcher when you're launching. That becomes really important because I just read yesterday that in this modern world, the distance between the user and the maker is increasing. And that is why we see, you know, fallacies in our design and the things we design. Uh, Then again, the culture thing, we don't understand the culture and we launch it and then it doesn't work because there is a huge distance between who are making those things and who are using those things. Founder being the researcher, and dipping into the lifestyle and the environment of users can actually save a lot. I mean, uh, we don't see the things that got prevented and we create our unsung heroes because obviously we didn't see that coming, that didn't happen. So we don't realize that, okay, you know, is it worth even talking about? But research, that is what research does. It mitigates risk. And because we didn't see that risk, thankfully, it play out, it can increase your chances of success or achieving your goal. Now, sticking to the point of startups, and do uh, you think, like you said that, you know, in the initial phase, you wouldn't want a startup to have a user research or dedicated UX research team, but a founder doing the research. Uh, but then again, when it comes to bootstrapped or low-funded startups, Uh, Do you feel that the same logic of having like rooting one product or rooting one product offering first and then moving on to user and UX research team works well? Or are there some other ways through which we can inculcate user research and UX research and that can actually help a bootstrapped startup or a low funded startup? Um, so the parameter of whether they are low-funded, bootstrap, it actually doesn't matter, right? You know, it's not like if I if you give me like ten million dollars and I'll be able to get insights faster. Right? So that is never going to happen. Where you say that if you put too many people into the problem and and my research will accelerate, right? So that usually doesn't happen. So it actually doesn't matter whether you're low-funded, bootstrap, or you're funded company. Maybe certain things you can sort of accelerate rather than like you know so. You might accelerate the process at certain points. Let's say, for example, like how figuring out whom should I be talking to, right? You know, if you're a well-funded startup, you can actually get an agency who will help you sort this out. But you should still be involved, correct? Now, if you're a bootstrap sort of startup, you might figure it out in a slightly more economical way without actually hiring an agency or having a researcher. But it might take a slightly more time. But it's not going to be drastically different. 
So what might take two weeks might take for for the for a bootstrap startup, let's say three weeks or four weeks. Right? But I don't see a drastic difference where a well-funded startup gets it in a day and the other person takes for months. Right? So that difference uh, sort of does not sort of happen. Now, if uh, I don't think there is a specific method for like a low funder sort of startups. Uh, one thing I would sort of um, sort of figure out or or I would recommend when I see a lot of bootstrap startups is that there's a fear, the, what the fear of failure, right? So once there is a sense of fear of failure and there's a lot of anxiety levels because there are too many things uh, at stake. For example, they might have gotten some sort of timeline with their family saying that, you know, I want to figure this out in the next one year. I want to figure this out in the next two years, right? So that could create a pressure in for them to keep doing multiple things or trying out multiple of these things. Now, what they probably don't understand is the cost of failure is very much high. Or sometimes they're very stuck to sort of one idea and they're trying to, it's it's a, it's a having a hammer and looking for a nail sort of a problem. Like they might have one technology, uh, they might have one set of workflows and they're looking for different use cases to sort of fit in. For example, what happens in a bootstrap sort of company, it's, it will be predominantly founders run because you don't have sort of angel investors or there are not external people who are sort of constantly monitoring what you do and giving you appropriate advices. It becomes very challenging. You could, be, you could get lost in your sort of own world. Now, for them also, user research, they'll have to detach themselves a little bit more and they sort of, they will have to sort of take that gut feeling or they'll have to experiment with these different things, right? And user research or talking to people, let's just keep it very simple, like, you know, user interviews or talking to people will actually help who eventually want to use the product. So there are two types of entrepreneurs, at least I sort of see in this space. There are one entrepreneur was very passionate about a certain problem statement and they want to do something about it. Someone come and say that, you know, you know what, I'm very passionate about healthcare. I'm very passionate about food tech. I'm very passionate about fintech. Now they'll figure out opportunities within that and then they will figure, then do things. There are other set of entrepreneurs who want, who their goal is to become an entrepreneur. They're looking for problem statements otherwise, right? Now, I think those cases where the challenge sort of becomes because the context or understanding of whom you're solving for, what you're solving for, is very less. Right? There are certain certain accidental entrepreneurs who have gone on to them really, really well. Right? But we'll also have to understand like that they are probably 0.1 percentage of it. Right? The rest 99.9 percentage probably did not make it. We don't know these stories. They, we don't talk about them in the media. Right? So that level of, level of detachment is less. Or for example, or I can put it this way: that in a bootstrap startup, the attachment to what you're trying to build is too high. That you know that you, you there's a fear of risking or losing sort of everything. So so the, then you get too attached to the problem. In in a funded startup, what happens is that you know now that your worry of money has actually gone away from the back of your mind. You at least have the time and space to experiment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a uh, few points there. First of all, uh, thank you for bringing that uh, failure thing up. So our perception becomes really skewed because we don't see the graveyard. We just see the success stories. And in my experience as well, a user research, like research has helped us see the graveyard, like see the actual pool of things rather than only the things that survive. It it yeah. just take the entire population and who out of them died and who survived. So that helps create like I won't say good perception, but like a more real perception of reality. So yeah, yeah. 
thank you for bringing that up but then again bootstrapped and funded the worry of money is not there at the same time i need to experiment and do trial and error to move forward you know when i am in a bootstrapped company um in my case in my experience user research i as a user research have done a lot of trial and error and that has only helped me move forward in maybe in research jobs or in other methodologies or things that i'm working with i don't think we can move forward without trial and error and experimentation because it's only the feedback that we get from reality matters not what my other founders are saying or what the startup culture is saying what my users and reality is saying so how do i position myself as a bootstrapped startup in a way that i am also able to experiment at the same time the cost of my failures doesn't threaten my survival so every time when we are building out experiences right you know so there is one way where you thinking through all the different sort of scenarios that plays out it probably in a customer journey now let's say you're building a product within google okay so let's even take a very the famous product like google pay if you're building on google pay you need to think through all the different scenarios how that google pay integrates with the other ecosystem how are you sort of like you know utilizing like a gmail login for a google pay how what happens when somebody's money gets stuck okay uh, how do you deal with that sort of concerns and all of that now that's because google has established its standard it has a certain brand value it has a certain trust in the society now you need to sort of live up to that trust right it's almost like uh, it's it's almost like being uh, being a son or daughter of a great entrepreneur you have to live up to that sort of name that is already been there now but if you're starting out as like a bootstrap startup you don't have this baggage of what you are and whom you should sort of live up to right you know so you can be anyone and that is a huge advantage for uh, for somebody who is starting up right and for them let's say for example if the if it's a bootstrap startup who is building out a product they could just build out like the main flows and put it out to people and get like feedback right so let's say for example in in a product like this even if your users are just 100 don't don't hook them up to a customer care number hook them up to your mobile number right so that you get constant sort of feedback from people right figure out all the different you'll have to build the pipelines of feedback and allow the water to flow there so you could do things that does not scale in the early stage like maybe like uh, zero to like a million users or something like you know you could do things that does not scale and then get involved in a day to day basis of what is the feedback right so rather than saying that you know oh i'm going i'm thinking of this idealistic sort of view and i want to build out everything and when i so because we have this narrative or we have this imagination about how a person should use my product right so it's a very dream sort of a, a dreamy sort of situation where you say that you know hey if they come here it should look like this 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 sort of a thing or to put it in a different analogy like you know you were thinking of starting to construct a 4 bhk villa and i'm saying like start with a mud house then probably gradually upgrade so that you know that you know at, at stage 1 itself something doesn't work you can demolish it and start it again but if you are building like a four bhk villa and people are not interested to come and see it because it's not relevant for them then demolishing that is going to take a lot of money cost and you know the, there's going to be very emotional pain also involved in it okay that brings a very good point that 
you know because we don't have uh, by we i mean bootstrap startups don't have those standards or protocols um that helps us move fast in a way and that helps us conduct many experiments uh provided they are small so the yeah. fact that we can conduct many experiments also increases the probability of like getting to the right kind the word that work even in the world of entrepreneurship the fact that there are so many people so many entrepreneurs working and on different things doing different experiments there are bound to be some successful case studies or some successful cases so the fact that there are so many experiments happening at the same time um has given us great innovation small and fast approach can actually help a bootstrapped or a low funded startup get to their goal or crack their game quickly that's what i got from what you said did i get that yeah. right yeah 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 so i would like to change our angle here and talk about something very interesting to me because i haven't explored that space that much and you have worked with the indian population at various levels in the fintech space so what has been your experience of working with the rural population and even the semi urban population i mean that you know people who have migrated from rural areas in the urban areas like because these are really i will say blinded space like there is not much research available on them even if there is uh, like i don't understand it in the sense because i have not been able to talk to them it's uh, to a very great level it was only recently when i was doing some research for a metro project that is going to touch the outer skirts uh, cities like meerut to delhi so that is that was my first trip with people on the ground and getting to know the stories of semi urban and rural population and it was a very small piece like a very thin slice but it was really interesting but i would like to know more about such experiences of working with rural populations and the semi urban populations any anecdotes that you like to share so that we get an sure. idea of how heterogeneous the picture actually is and how interesting it is to to address this point first i do think there is research that is available uh, it's just that those research are not available probably in the entrepreneurship context or in startups context or in like a, a big business context there's a lot of research that is already available in academia there are constantly research being done by uh, different think tanks and they put out papers uh, it's just that it is not in our sort of culture on a daily basis to read a lot of these research papers and go out and scout for them they won't appear in our twitter feeds they won't appear in our instagram feeds they won't appear you'll have to search for them you'll have to look out for them right yeah. and they they might not necessarily be in the most engaging format that you might expect so today in a day and age where you want everything in a 30 second sort of tiktok and reels to explain you even like complex financial concepts like mutual funds and stock market nobody is going to take this academia paper and sort of explain it in sort of reels so we'll have to put that effort to actually go and read some of those papers and there is a vast knowledge that exists it's up to us to take those knowledge and sort of um, actuate them based on our context but most of predominantly research is done in public policy context they might suggest some things for government for change right but at the core it's the behavior of people 
it's it's the same sort of thing now coming to the first point that you talked about what is the difference between doing research in sort of urban rural and like semi urban sort of population one there is a the way of doing research would differ depending on like their technology barriers how much they understand technology and their access to them now the second thing that i have personally found it more eye opening is just the lens in how they look at the world every time i go in with an assumption of how like who these people are what their life might be every time being very surprised because you know they break it from they 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 break my sort of um, sort of understanding of who they are right now it's just the fact that let's say um, very simple fact that you know let's say a researcher is getting paid a salary of let's say, even as conservatively like 10 lakhs per annum right or uh, let's say 12 lakhs per annum round off like you they get like 1 lakh per month right and one just having 1 lakh per month gives probably the researcher access to better housing better food better healthcare better shelter everything right not just a researcher this could be anyone designer engineer everyone like even founders right now what happens when your income reduces to let's say 30000 what happens when that income is 30000 income is not for an individual but for a household of four people right what happens when that income of household of 30000 for four people also has a, a sort of like healthcare challenge at home where somebody is extremely ill now when it's the money becomes a very good lens for you to see what you can possibly do in your life and that's why for me financial research is more and more interesting because it forms a basis for a lot of these things so the moment i reduce my household income to let's say 30000 or 20000 but it has to sort of like care for like four or five people this is i'm saying still probably this amount that i'm saying still could be the top 10 percentage of india right so that gives you a lot of sort of lens into seeing how what their life looks like now for example in one of the research we were talking to a bus driver from bombay and we were asking about his technology adoption he said he would never use something like a google pay or phone pay he was trying to understand why what, what is his inhibition he said that you know what if i go to sort of like uh, a tailor or like a tea shop and if i am sort of like scanning this qr code and let's say the money doesn't sort of go through that guy is going to shout at me saying that i don't have money in the bank and that's why i am throwing up a tantrum and i don't want to let my dignity go away or respect go away at that point is what he said i would have never thought about it from that perspective at all because you know when you or me walk into any of these store and if you are trying to sort of pay for like say 10 rupees or even 50 rupees for some product and if your upi network is down you might blame the technology and you might say that you know i will come back to you and they'll give it the money after that and people will happily let you go but here the play is different so he might not even he doesn't even have to disclose his income he doesn't even have to disclose where he comes from people are very easily they could make these judgmental calls based on who you are what you wear and how you speak and based on your name all of this they'll make a judgmental call and then they will sort of assume the intent behind your actions and we probably are living in the same country but we are very privileged that's that's all we should sort of understand similar things around when i did research with a lot of security guards in bangalore and they told me that you know 
you think all these spaces are public spaces like going to a mall going to into a store and all of this are public spaces largely like semi public spaces sort of a thing but he said that you know even though i can go but i usually don't go because the moment probably i enter like a like a like like a like a high end fashion store even in say the mall you know there will be one person who will constantly be monitoring around me seeing what i do now that has never happened with any of us now that's how like say that's when i started trying to understand from his perspective for him probably even though they are not technically sort of closed for certain spaces but they have been morally closed by for certain spaces by the society now if you have to build for them if you don't understand these nuances then it's going to be very challenging so two quite great points there and again it's bringing me back to the same point of you know difference between the user and the maker but first of all uh one thing i sensed is that i have read a lot of research papers in my college time and academic research papers but now that i'm in a corporate and you know startup research environment there was this domain specific thing that you know academia research is only for college and this uh, when i'm in startup it's more like i'm going on ground and there are not a lot of papers there so thank you for pointing that out because creating silos as a researcher eventually is going to harm me only so mm. yeah thank you for bringing that point up and now i can blur the lines between academia and doing the user research that i'm doing and then again the second point this uh, point of public spaces that is a very cultural thing that that is a very socio economic thing of you know the security guard can't go inside the mall one thing that i that comes from my experience is that you know when there are subways or uh, underground road crossings or or there are flyovers so as a woman it's very unsafe for me to take something like that i would rather cross the road with thousands of cars passing me by rather than take the you know crossover which is so secluded so yeah, yeah that bring that point of spaces is really interesting um but with respect to the fintech space what all things have surprised you in the rural and semi urban population that anything that you can inculcate in the fintech apps that we are using because i feel that there is a scope for vast growth in rural and semi urban areas but obviously because of many reasons we are not able to crack it so what are the insights that you feel that you can give to the founders or product managers that can put them in the right direction anything of that sort i'm not sure if i'll be able to give specific insights because it completely depends on the context yeah. but one behavior that we have observed in the sort of rural population is that they trust government anything with the seal of a government is trustworthy respectable and all of it because of the fact that you know there's more stability and all of that so for example they might look up to a government job they might look up to a government bank they might look up to a government scheme right so we don't get any of these benefits from government schemes and stuff like that but predominantly people from the rural villages because their access is only limited even if you have money the access to what you could do with that money even in a smaller city is limited 
and for them the hope is that you know a lot of these government schemes and the government banks are there to just protect them right you know that's very strong there's a strong correlation between that but there are also certain sort of like cultural nuances which there's not been able to have like a great uptick in a lot of these financial sort of products so one is that you know there was a jandhan yojana which allowed people to open their bank account somewhere in 2015 to 2017 we had almost a huge uptick like almost 80 percentage of the indian adults have a bank account now that is one good stat now the problem is that a lot of these accounts are actually dormant so they're not being used in the last 90 days there is no sort of transaction that's happening between each of any of these accounts so the problem with that is because in the jandan yojana there was different camps that were set up in these villages then people like the bank representatives went to each of these villages they took their other and they took their fingerprint and they opened the bank account right now for them to access that bank account they still have to go to the bank or they have to sort of adopt some sort of a digital bank we are not still there yet now the idea of the trade offs and like the compounding let's say for example um you could actually go to someone and actually say that hey if you sort of save let's say 200 rupees every month this is giving you a random number you could actually get a health insurance in a case where that you know if you fall ill that money will be completely taken care by the insurance very rational point but your counter argument would be is i have my daughter's Uh, education fees to be filled by next month now which one should i contribute should i contribute to the healthcare should i contribute to daughter's education right now for an unforeseen damage that might happen in future versus the foreseen sort of short term goals for me that seems more prominent or that seems more important now they have to do the trade off because the resources and the money is limited here now when you are building financial products for tattoo attire people you will have to consider their source of income and all their expenses in a more holistic manner they are not going to pay for your insurance if you if you can't build an insurance product if you don't understand their savings behavior you can't build an insurance product if you don't understand their investment behavior you can't build a savings product if you don't understand their borrowing behavior so they are all interrelated you could come to a metro city person who has like high disposable income and come you can take 5000 rupees out of his pocket every month which is fine because that's the income which is lying in their bank account they're not doing anything you could educate them and you can take that money out of their bank account this is not possible when you're building product for that one type of things and that's where research also sort of helps you in understanding it more so also like say for example another thing also around their attitude of life so you can't sort of come and say that you know um, you, you know one of one of the biggest deterrent for life insurance in in a tattoo city you know the competitor for there is actually their sons and daughters they want to say that you know i don't need money to take care in the old age like for example retirement fund not even like term insurance say retirement fund they'll say that you know my sons and daughters are my retirement fund i don't have to separately save money for it like how do you counter argue with that so yeah i mean so when you're building like products for tattoo or tattoo series you need to understand these nuances when we did this research near uh, ranchi there was one interesting thing that we had observed right they said that you know we were talking to one of the bank employee in a branch and he said that you know you know what the 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 
the usage of cards is actually very low, even though people have been given the debit cards. So we asked him why. He said that, you know, we usually give this along with certain, the debit card is issued with along with documents, like other documents as how to use and the checkbook and all of that with it. So they think these are very important and personal documents. They take those documents and put it in somewhere safe place. They don't think of it as a portable sort of device. Like how we take the debit cards and put it in our wallet and that is used to actually use for that sort of mobility, right? They think all of these documents are together. So they keep it safe inside. So nobody actually carries debit card with them. And so there is no use. There's not much usage of the debit card which is one thing. And uh, another thing also he pointed out and said that, you know, see, most people are in, in a farming community, they wear dhotis. And the dhotis does not have a pocket for you to keep a debit card. So you know, stuff like this are very sort of eye-opening. You, you cannot imagine this sitting in an AC office in Bangalore, Delhi, Hyderabad, Bambri, anywhere, Bombay, anywhere, right? You have to go to the field and be there and be with these people. Even if you're not doing user research, just observing people itself gives so much interesting insights. Again, some really great points you brought there. And in fact, I can sort of confirm, I don't know if it's a confirmation bias, but when you said that, you know, uh, people trust in the government. So as I was doing research in the outskirts cities and uh, semi-urban cities like Nerat, I had to pitch in a way that when I said the word NRCTC, which is the government organization that is creating the metro, that mm-hmm. sort of built a trust in them. Like after a few trials, I understood that, okay, that's how I'll have to pitch it. If I say researcher and this and that, <laughs> it's not going to work. So even in my behavior, it's a, a sort of instilled that, you know, my NRCTC is home and that's a government organization that they're seeing around them those boards and they're creating the metro so they had some sense of trust that okay maybe i can talk to this woman now that i see a word a government word that i'm seeing all around so yeah that also came up in my experience and when i was working for startup i didn't have to build the trust there because they were already using the product and uh, they already had the trust i had to sort of start with an emotional connect or understanding their life and position so that they could open up to me so again two really different points here i was dealing with the us population and then with the indian population so yeah and the jandhan thing uh, i saw a lot of like maids in my areas so what some beautiful things about jandhan a you can open an account with a local general store. So you can go to a general store and that person can help you from biometric to everything. So that scalability that was brought about in Jandhan, because when you go to the bank, like the bank itself becomes a huge hindrance, even the government banks because it is so crowded. Someone has to think twice before going to the government bank in an urban city because he or she will have to take a day off. They might have to take a day off and that scalability issue that I felt was like phenomenal. And then again, if you have to draw money also, there are centers like this with the general store only where you can go and draw money. In fact, some are also charging extra for giving money. So the person that you're saying where that uh, in a grocery store, they have been able to sort of withdraw money, deposit money and all of it. So they are called a banking correspondent. 
they are a form of representative authorized by RBI. So I can actually go and become a banking correspondent of any of the banks, right? And I can, why I think there are some requirements and I should have like a general store, they have given me the softwares, right? So anybody could just go with their account number and other uh, authentication and they'll be able to perform all the banking action, almost all the banking actions that you have performed with a bank. This is to increase the presence of like the bank in the absence of a bank branches, increase the presence of these stores, uh, these banking correspondents across the country. But again, the challenge is that they've been able to do money in and money out operations. Okay. So which means cash in, cash out. Like you put in the money, you take the money out. So a bank or bank really does not make money in cash in, cash out. They make money in sort of lending loans and all the other things. And also an economy grows not through cash in cash out, also through like getting other financial products in investments, in borrowing and all of that. I'm not sure to what extent that is possible with a banking correspondent. I think they, they'll be able to pay their electricity bills and all of that is possible. They're able to buy insurance, but I'm not sure if they will, they don't, I don't think they still have the ability to give out loans or they don't think they have the ability to sort of help them invest in sort of mutual funds and all these etc stuff right those are two crucial so also these are at the beginning stages we'll have to see in the next decade how these banking correspondents evolve would they evolve into full-fledged sort of financial services is again a question yeah yeah absolutely uh, dharmesh thank you so much for your time you we talked about a lot of things and uh, it gave me a direction to how to think about the Indian population and how to approach when I'm talking to Indian users. So thank you so much for all the insights and all the points that you brought up. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. Uh, every time I talk about it, it, it just excites me to go back and learn more about how we can do better sort of research and understand people more.